Revelation, chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. We're on our next city that the Lord is speaking to. We've already gone through Ephesus, you remember, in the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 2, Ephesus had a lot of things going for them, but they had uh, had a little misdirection in their priorities, hadn't they? They had lost their first love. And they were doing all the right things, but without the right motivation. And we talked about that, how even though we do things for the Lord, if we do them just for duty's sake, that's not the right motivation. Is it? We do them because we love the Lord and we love his people. And then Smyrna we talked about, and then we last week we were in Pergamum, the uh, capital of that area, and uh, the incredible uh, altars to pagan gods there. He, Jesus went as far as to say that you live where Satan dwells because of the incredible amount of pagan worship in that town of Pergamum. And they were starting to accept some of that into their church, weren't they? And they were, uh, they were told, <laughs> you best not be doing that. Uh, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against those that are disobeying me with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear. Well, <clears throat> this week we are in Thyatira. And uh, I just want to talk for a minute before we read these verses about tolerance. Has anybody ever been to classes on tolerance where you work? Anybody? At the college. At the college. Anybody else? Oh, you, you need to go to a few of those classes. They're just a joy. Uh, they are the hip thing right now. Have been for a while. Uh, any large business or large organization uh, feels the need now to have classes on tolerating people who are way, way, way different than you might be. And uh, there's a real debate going on in our country as far as intolerance and tolerance. And people on both sides of the political and the spiritual spectrum accuse each other all the time of being intolerant or being too tolerant. And uh, those are terms that go around a lot today. And that's exactly where we're going to be going in this letter to Thyatira today. That those, there were people, in fact, the entire church in Thyatira was becoming too tolerant of certain behaviors. And the Lord nails them on it. And that's where we're going to be going. And so I just want to bring that to your attention, that as we go through today, start thinking about things in your life and uh, people in your life that uh, we need to figure out where the line is with them as far as tolerance, as far as, as accepting or encouraging or enabling. Those are all terms that come in to what we're talking about today. And I just want to preface this whole message on the fact that this is not for anybody who's listening uh, online or anybody who's here today this is not a personal deal from me to you. This is Jesus Christ talking to this church and talking to us today in the very same way as he talked to them. And so I pray that you can understand that. I struggle with this area like everybody else does. 
It's hard to know those lines. Many times it's hard to know where that line is. And I struggle with that just like everybody else does. So realize this is not me telling you. This is me with you, okay? Everybody good that way? I hope so. All right. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's read these verses together. Starting in verse 18. This is the longest letter of all seven letters. Let us uh, follow along, if you would. I'm reading from the, uh, uh, what am I, the ESV today, I'm reading. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service, Patience, patient endurance, I should say. And that your latter works exceed the first. But, there's that but. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and is seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your work. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on any other only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers or overcomes and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. You can see why many pastors kind of skip over this letter and uh, tend to go to other ones. Uh, this is a pretty serious letter. I want to uh, read a couple other verses here for you before we get started from uh, we're going to start in second uh, Timothy 4 second Timothy 4 1 to 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those mean keep each other in line. That's what those words mean. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have it, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill don't need to comment on that, I don't think. And then 1 Corinthians 5, if you would. First Corinthians 5, verse 9, from 9 to 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. <clears throat> not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. What he says is, the world is going to be full of this kind of people, right? They're going to be full of that. Uh, so it's not that they are that they are doing anything different than they're going to do, okay? You just don't associate with them. But don't be surprised when they behave like that, is really what he's saying. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, that is, anybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? <clears throat> it is not those in, is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Once again, those are hard words to hear. Because that instructs us as a church. When we have people who are coming to church, who are living a lie, who are living in unrepentant sin, we are to kick them out. Did you read that? Pretty plain. Okay, now there's a process. Matthew 18 goes through the process. You can study that this afternoon where you go to them individually. You do your research. Make sure that these are not just rumors. You go check it out with them. You take a brother or a sister with you. You talk to them about it. If they still don't repent, then you bring it before the church. If they still don't repent, then they are no longer welcome in your congregation. And that is because we love them. Don't misunderstand that. That's not because we're judging them. We are wanting them to repent and come back to a loving relationship with the Lord. And that does not happen when we continue to encourage that behavior by accepting that behavior. Everybody get that? That's what the scripture's talking about. Now, with that as a little bit of background, I want to give you a little more background on this town. It's an interesting town. We talked last time about Pergamum. 
This town is about 30 miles or so southeast of Pergamum. And uh, on this same postal route, we've gone up this way. Well, we're going, I got up this way, and now we're coming back to the southeast. And this town lay, uh, lay in a river valley that was a chute for the people, armies from the east to come in and uh, attack, and especially attack Pergamum, because we talked about that. It was the capital city of that area for like 250 years. So Thyatira became a guard station, basically. There were thousands of soldiers, Roman soldiers, that were stationed there. And uh, when you have that big a group of people, uh, there was a lot of business that it was required to keep that group of people going. And they also exported. You might remember, the only other time we hear about Thyatira is when, uh, in Acts, remember from our Monday Night Bible study, when Paul came to Philippi, he went down to the river because there wasn't any synagogue there. Who did he find there? A lady from Thyatira who was selling what? Purple cloth. There you go. So obviously there was a big textile industry there in Thyatira. They also had dye that was used for royal clothing. She could sell at a high price. From a particular shellfish especially that was right there, they could get access to. And uh, they would dye this cloth, and it was very, very valuable. Uh, lots of industry there. Not just that, but there was leather work. There was art. Artisans were there. People uh, working in metal, bronze, and uh, brass. There were potters there. They had to make dishes for all those people. Uh, you didn't just go to the store or order on Amazon. You know, you had to have it made for you. You wanted shoes, you had to have them made for you. Uh, there were people doing all of those. Tailors, uh, all, yes, a whole city full of craftsmen. And uh, they had a large slave trade there as well. They used a lot of slaves in the, to manufacture all these things. Uh, yes. Uh, there was a huge cult there to Apollo, to Apollo, who was uh, considered the son of Zeus, who was god in their mind so this he was considered apollo was considered in that day to be the son of god that will come up in our scripture moment uh, so that's who they worshiped uh there was emperor worship there as well and a, and a uh, temple to artemis as well mainly the the religion there was the worship of apollo and uh, other false gods with him, but mainly him. The thing that distinguished this town was the the group of guilds. They called them a guild at that time in history. Today we call them unions. And uh, unions. And uh, there are uh, there's a lot of history that talks about this guild system. This guild system was like our trade unions today. And to work in that town, you had to belong to a guild. You wanted to work, if you wanted to make pottery, you had to be in the potter's guild, or they would not allow you to sell your pottery. Okay. So <clears throat> there was a lot of pressure on people. This will help us understand this letter. There's a lot of pressure on people to go back to their old ways, in that they uh, it was very hard to make a living if you weren't in a guild. And if you didn't attend their guild activities, which were that once a month, 
at least, they would have a large feast where everybody would come and they would be eating food that they had already dedicated to their god, okay, whatever god that was of their particular guild. They had individual gods for each guild, and then they had, obviously, Apollo, the head of that. So they would have offered this food to their gods already. So for the Christian, or for the Jew, to walk in there and realize that you are eating food already presented to idols. That's why it talks about that. That's why Jesus talks about that in the word. And then after dinner, they would uh, have more of their liquid <laughs> encouragement. And uh, it would break into a lot of different kinds of sexual immorality. Okay? I don't need to go into that. Uh, but uh, that's what would happen after every feast. That was just pagan worship. That's the way it worked. Uh, very sexually immoral. Everything you can imagine happened there. Okay? Even things I can't imagine happened there. And so, <clears throat> when they became Christians, uh, they were to give that up, right? Scripture is real clear. Bible's really clear. Old Testament's really clear. You don't participate in those kind of activities. So it was very difficult for them because they wouldn't be able to work. They'd have to do something else. They'd, have, they'd be skipping meals. They'd be helping each other. They'd be growing gardens. They'd be, you know, it was a very difficult life there. And so you got to understand from their side, it's really easy for us to judge them and say, well, shame on you people. But the temptation was great. Okay. And I equate it to the temptation of people I've known that have come out of the drug scene or come out of the alcoholic scene where they come to the Lord and they uh, want to hang out with the same friends. Because they're going to win them for the Lord. You ever heard that? I can go minister in the bar that I used to hang out in all the time. Because now I'm a Christian and I can minister for the Lord. Well, the problem with that is that it doesn't work. Um, and time and time again, you and I have both seen folks that head down that road. And before long, they're drinking again. They just fall into that. It just that's exactly what happens. And so we are to guard against that. Obviously. Um talked about the Son of God. Alright. So that gives you a little background of the city. It wasn't near as large as Pergamum, but it, like I said, it was mainly a military town with all these industries going on. And you had to be in those guilds. So let's start this together and walk through these verses. There's a lot here. All right. <clears throat> so the angel of the church of Thyatira, that's to the pastor. Right? We've already talked about that. Uh, he is writing these letters to the pastor, the leader of these churches, and to go home and read them to their churches and read to all the other churches the same letter as well because there's people like all of these churches in every church, right? Every large church has people like this. So, and even small churches. So, angel of the church to Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Let's stop right there a minute. Notice the Son of God. Now, when he 
reveals himself in chapter one, which is where all these introductions come from. Remember, we've been talking about that. Every letter introduces Jesus in a way he's already been introduced in the first chapter. In this first chapter, he introduces himself as the son of man, okay, who has eyes of fire and feet like burning from. Here he uses the term son of God. And why does he do that? Because of Apollo, that's right. You guys have been worshiping the false son of God. Realize who I am. Okay, that's what he's saying. Realize who I am. I am the real son of God. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean to you? Some of you action movie fans. Superman, what can he do? With his eyes, that's right. Laser eyes, right? He could go through anything. He could see through anything. X-ray eyes, right? Piercing eyes. He sees not only what we do, is what he's saying here. He sees inside of you and why you do it. That's what he's saying. That's right. Your thoughts and intentions. That's what Jesus is saying here. I have eyes like that. I see not only what, but why you do it. And then the bronze he brings up because there's a lot of bronze workers, a lot of people making bronze, polishing bronze and using them for tools and uh, decoration in that town. And his feet or his boots of bronze to crush underfoot his enemies. Because really, it's a sign of judgment that he's going to get, get, you know, he's going to get judging here. He's going to start judging some of these people that are disobeying. Uh, and that's a very serious thing, and he wants you to know that from the get-go. So that's why he says, I have, and his feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works. He says that in every letter. Don't think I don't know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> you may think you're getting away with stuff. You may think I don't notice when you do wonderful things. That's not true. God knows that. God knows when you do things that aren't so wonderful either. He knows that can't hide from it. Just because you do something in the dark doesn't mean he doesn't see. Okay? He can see in the dark. He does. You'll notice, however, that most things done evil in this country happen in the dark. Portland right now for, what, a hundred and some days. During the day, you walk the streets of Portland, no problem. You go out at 10 o'clock at night, you take your life in your hand. Because that's when the people come out to do evil, is in the dark. And that has been true all along, still true today. So, <clears throat> he knows. He knows your works. And he starts out really good here. This church sounds great. Your love, they haven't lost their first love. They've got lots of love. They do it for the right reason. Their faith, the service, patient endurance. Not only are you enduring patiently, but... Your, the recent things you've done are even better than what you used to do. Right? There's a lot of good here. Doesn't last very long, but there's a lot of good here. <laughs> okay? In these words. So he's encouraging, which is a wonderful thing. We need to be encouraged when we're going to get something mentioned about us. And uh, you can always tell when somebody comes up to you and they say, Well, you know, you're a wonderful person, but <laughs> something's coming, isn't it? Yeah, and sure enough, he brings that up here. Now, before I get into that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about 
a couple lists I looked up this week. You know, <clears throat> the acceptance of sexual immorality into the church is a big deal today. Um, it has affected numerous denominations who not only accept the LGBT community, XR2, ABC, whatever they are, um, they're, not only do they accept them, but they accept them into membership, they accept them into leadership in their churches. Okay. Let me just name a few churches that have full acceptance of homosexual, transgender, all those people into their church, not only to the membership, but into the leadership. The Anglican Episcopal Church, okay, all Episcopal churches accept them freely. American Baptist churches, not all Baptist churches, but all Baptist churches are talking about it right now, unfortunately. But the American Baptists have come out in their doctrinal statement and accepted them fully. Disciples of Christ churches, uh, Christian Reformed churches of North America. That's some, we don't have a lot of them around here, but they are big in some places. Uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the ECLA branch, which is the largest branch of the Lutheran Church, has accepted them fully. Many of the pastors in that church are uh, of those perversions, uh, sexual perversions, uh, according to Scripture. The United Methodist Church is divided, but many are going that way. The local churches in this valley are very much in favor of that, of uh, accepting that into their church. Uh, you can see them in the paper. They even proclaim it in the Lewiston Trip. Uh, the Moravian Church, the Presbyterian Church, the entire Presbyterian Church, Quaker Friends Church, they are divided, uh, but many of them are accepting of them. United Church of Christ, they accept them fully into membership and leadership. Worldwide, the official Church of Sweden, doesn't take you much to figure that out, they accept them fully. Denmark, the Church of Iceland, Church of Norway, Church of Finland, Church of Canada, the official church in Canada accepts them fully without any any judgment of them at all. And uh, it is that list is growing every year. It grows, and that is our country today. Uh, Fifty years ago, that would not be true. Okay, I'm not sure any of these would be on that list if you go back even 50 years, a hundred years for sure. But uh, that is infiltrating the church in this, in this, and these are all—they all consider themselves evangelical, Bible-believing churches that I just mentioned. Okay, so you need to be aware of that, and that's not to pick on them. That's just to declare a fact. Okay, that's just a fact. So, so they are not following God's design. No, they're not. They're going against God's design. And they are in line with what they're doing right here in Thyatira, by accepting sexual immorality and the worship of idols. So, let's keep going. I have something against you. That you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching 
and is seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Wow. Wow. Uh, I need to read you another list. Scripture is clear that uh, women have a lot of incredible ministry in the world and in the church. But as far as the head pastorship of the church, Scripture declares that that is not the place of a woman in the church. Okay? Women can minister to women. women. Women are fantastic with kids, much better than guys usually. Uh, women can minister to their husbands amazingly, and I praise God for mine who does that, but they are not to be leading in the church. Let me let, uh, I just found a partial list of uh, denominations and uh, groups of churches that uh, ordain women today. And uh, this is just a partial list. Uh, American Baptists, again, they have no problem ordaining women. Uh, in fact, many of their pastors are women. Episcopal Church, same thing. Uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church, same branch of the Lutheran Church. The whole Presbyterian Church, United Church of Christ, United Methodist, Free Methodist, all the Methodist churches have no problem with that. They uh, have women pastors all over the place. Nazarene Church, they do that. They have female pastors. The Pentecostal Church of God has female pastors. Assemblies of God have, has, I think, a majority of women preachers now in that denomination, more than 50%. The Disciples of Christ also have uh, uh, accepted fully women in the church. And here, in this letter, he says specifically that you tolerate this woman who is teaching in the church. That, according to scripture, uh, is not allowed. That's one strike against her right there, is that she should not be given that authority in the church. Now, there are early, early documents, early documents, uh, versions of this that they have found that actually feel that this woman was the pastor's wife. Okay. There are, there is evidence of that. Many transcripts don't have that, but a couple they found have that as the word they use there is the pastor's wife is this woman Jezebel. called Jezebel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Ahab. Yes, I know. We're going to get into that. Um, but he, uh, the pastor is obviously allowing this woman to not only teach, but to lead the people back into the guild lifestyle. Yep. And you can, I can hear her. She can just say, look, it's really not that bad. You know, God will forgive you. You need to make a living. We need to keep this church going. So just, you know, you can go to those meetings. It's okay. You know, and then just they just come on Sunday and just say you're sorry, you know, or whatever. Uh, no, she is allowing this. She's not only allowing it; she is encouraging. She is seducing. Okay, she even calls herself a prophetess. She even calls herself a prophetess. Now there are some Old Testament prophetesses. There's Miriam, Moses's sister, was called a prophetess because she spoke things of God to the people in defense of her brother. And she sang a beautiful, after they crossed the sea, remember, she sang this beautiful song of praise to God. 
Uh, Deborah in Judges, she was a judge. She was called a priestess. Okay. New Testament really doesn't have anybody called a priestess. There's a sort of a priestess in uh, by the name of Anna in Luke 2.36. You can look that up later if you want to write that down. Luke 2.36 and study that. She spoke about God, but she didn't speak in a church situation. But uh, some people who promote that uh, use that verse to uh, say that Anna was a, uh, a preacher there. So, <clears throat> let's talk about Jezebel. Most likely, this woman's name was not actually Jezebel. Okay. That would be a title. Okay. I can't imagine anyone naming their daughter Jezebel. Uh, like people don't name their sons Judas very often. For good purpose, right? For good reason. And so, really, he's talking about here the, the type of person uh, that she was, was like Jezebel of old. Who was Jezebel's husband? Who married Jezebel? Ahab, yeah. You go back to 1 Kings 16. Go back to 1 Kings. You get, I'll just give you a short version of this story here. I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but... Yeah, just to give you an idea. Uh, Jezebel was a temple prostitute who was the daughter of an important person uh, in another country who came to marry Ahab. First Kings 16, let's start, verses 30 to 33. First Kings 16. 30 to 33. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So he already had a rough, <laughs> a rough, uh, yeah, he was already not a very nice guy. The most evil of all. And uh, more than all those before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took his for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethabal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Nazareth bull, right? And Ahab made an Asherah bull. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Alright? So he allowed this woman to come in to Israel and bring the worship of Baal. Okay? Which, as we talked before, had a lot of uh, sexual immorality involved with it. Okay, a lot of drunkenness, a lot of other drugs, and they would get into this this uh, euphoric state out of their mind, and that's when they thought they could get close to their gods. And through all of that, of course, there were many unwanted children born, and uh, that's when they started offering these children to their god, Baal and Balak, and they started offering them as human sacrifices. And that's when uh, all, well, a lot of that was occurring. So, very, 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 very evil. 
in the sight of God. You can see that from what it just said right there. If you go to 2 Kings 9, real quick, we're going to jump ahead. Interesting study to study her and all of her misbehavior and all the people that she killed. But uh, we're not going to go into all that. 2 Kings 9, 6 to 10, however. I'll just end with this and then we'll get back to our, to our letter. 6. Verse 6 to 10. So he rose and went into the house. Is that, what I, is that where I am? 2 Kings. 2 Kings 9, 6. Yeah. I want to make sure I have this right. Went into the house, and the young man poured oil on, the, on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is uh, not Elijah, but Elisha who's doing this. He says, I anoint you king, this is a new king, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and all the blood, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Elijah, uh, whatever, how do you pronounce that? And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel. None shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. <laughs> okay? He said what God told him to say, and then he got out of there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if you follow her life, that's exactly what happened to her. She died, and before they could get to her, the dogs, the wild dogs, had uh, eaten her. All that was left, I think, was her skull and her feet, I believe, and her hands, I think. Yeah. And uh, the dogs had eaten everything else. So <clears throat> she didn't have a good ending. But the point that I really want to bring up here, too, is that even though this letter... Uh, Tyra brings out this woman, Jezebel, don't think that the pastor of that church wasn't hearing his responsibility as well. If it really was his wife, who should he have been leading? Her, right? Yeah. So this is not only a judgment on her, it's a judgment on him as well, as not being the leader he should have been in that home and in that church. Um... She was not a prophetess. She just calls herself that. Notice that. He didn't say she was a prophetess. He says she calls herself a prophetess. And she is teaching in that church things she ought not do. Not only shouldn't she be teaching, but she shouldn't be teaching the things she teaches. And that is to practice sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Where did they do that? In their monthly meetings, right? In these guilds. That's why they did that. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Gave her time to repent. Praise God, he gives us time to repent. Yes. When I've done things, and he has given me time to repent. If he did not give me time to repent, as soon as I had done that sin, I should have been vaporized, right? 
That's what we all deserve. First sin we commit, we should all be vaporized. We go against God. The punishment for that sin is instant death. Should happen. But because he gives us time to repent, praise his name. Okay? We have that time. Now, some people don't repent, like this woman. And there's a price to pay for that. And he gets real serious here. Because she will not repent, I will throw her onto a sick bed. Now, that's kind of a play on words, isn't it? She's been using the bed for other things. And now she's going to get sick, really sick. Okay? So he is not only going to uh, judge that, but he's going to, in, in general, but he's going to judge her specifically. And she is going to become very, very ill. A lot of times people don't realize where illness comes from. Okay? We can't forget God is in control. God is in control. And even though we don't always agree, in fact, seldom do we agree, he uses everything for his purposes. <clears throat> and that's not saying that every time you get sick, God's judging you. I'm not saying that. Okay? We all get sick because we live in a sick world. Okay? A lot of germs and a lot of horrible things. But there are times that people who have disobeyed him continually get really sick because of that. For example, bitterness. Okay, I've seen you and may have, I've we've probably all seen people who have become so bitter that they get physically ill. There are doctors that will tell you that people get cancer from bitterness. Okay, that is unforgiving anger against someone else, right? That kind of bitterness. And that not only affects your mind, it affects your body. It does. That's just one example of emotion, okay? You start talking about sexual immorality. People who are sexually immoral. Do you realize that the homosexual world has a 20-year lifespan cut? Okay? They live 20 years less on average than heterosexual people. Okay? That's because of their lifestyle, because of their choices. Suicide rate is greatly elevated in that world because they are defying God. And there's that guilt that comes with that. And so they're never, they're not subtle. Uh, in their, they're not at peace, they're not. And that is all consequences of that kind of behavior. And we need to see that around us and understand that. Because that will help us in warning people as they go into those things that are outside of God's will. You're going to pay a price for that. You know, I'm here to tell you as your friend, you go down that road, you're going to hit a wall. There's no way through that wall unless you turn around and what? Repent. That. That's what he's telling us here. Don't go down those, those roads and expect to be blessed. You're not going to be blessed. I have couples that call me and I, they say, the Lord's just not blessing me. I'm just not getting any blessings. What's the matter? And I say, well, you're still living with that guy? Well, yeah. And I go, well, there you go. About as simple as it gets. You can't expect God to overflow with blessings on your life when you're disobeying Him. That doesn't work. So it's very simple, and yet it's very not very. It's not very politically correct for me to talk about. It. But Scripture is clear, and it's clear right here. We can't deny it. You head down those roads, you're going to hit a wall. Don't head down those roads. That's what He's saying. 
So not only is he going to put her on a sick bed, but all those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Lots of trouble in their life. Lots of trouble. People who get into drugs, they have any trouble in their life? No, they never get into trouble with the law. Or with prison. They never go to prison. They never get diseases. No, of course. This God tells us this because he loves us, right? This is not to say that I'm going to do this on purpose to you. These are consequences that people bring on themselves and that God encourages to come on them to teach them not to do these things. All those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And repentance, what is repentance? It's turning the other direction, right? I'm going this way because I want to go this way. It's the wrong way. I repent. I go this way. Okay? That's gone. Don't talk to those people anymore. I don't do those things anymore. I don't go there anymore. I don't. Now, is that possible in our own power to do that? No. It's really not. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered in my life that those sins that Satan knows about that are my little buttons okay, that he can push. Even though I think, and I've given those up, and I've left them at the cross, and I've left them there, it's not over, is it? They will still pop up. So it is. that's why the thing scripture says, I die daily to myself and to those past things. That means every day we have to be intent on not going there. Every day. It's not just something we can just throw Roundup on it and kill it once and it's gone forever. Try doing that on a piece of ground out here. The next year, guess what pops right up in that same ground? Weeds. Right? You can cut them off, you can uproot them, you can spray them with poison, everything else. Wait a little while, what's going to show up? Weeds. Right? And sin is no different. It will keep pestering you all your life. That's just part of life. They're always around me. So we can't just say, oh, I'm over that. That's why the alcoholics I know, they say they are not an alcoholic now, but they'll always be an alcoholic, right? You've heard that, haven't you? Smokers will always be a smoker. Okay? Always. You have to every day choose not to do those behaviors, don't you? That's not, I'm not just picking on them. That's all kinds of things, isn't it? That's all kinds of things in our lives that can pull us away from God. Become our idols. Right? Become our idols. Well, I don't know. I think the biggest idol in this country right now is Satan. Think about that. Think about what people are doing to each other. How they're treating each other. How they're obsessing over Satan. Don't come over here. Don't come over here. No. And to me, it is so interesting. Because getting in a car and driving home is not safe. <laughs> Here's 
not safe. People die every hour of every day by getting in a car and driving across town. Yeah. They do. See, there you go. You could have been gone really easy. So, getting on an airplane is really safe, right? <laughs> Get in a how many hundred pound, how many thousand pound tube and take off into the air? That's really safe. That's not safe. No. People take risks all the time, don't we? We open a can of food and eat it. We don't know what's in that can. Right? That's risky. It is. But we just assume it's just fine. Just fine. Right? We drive at night, 65 miles an hour down the road. We don't know if that next bridge is out. We don't know what's in the road. No. We risk all the time. Safety is not an issue, okay? Yeah. You don't go stand in the middle of a freeway. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that normal life is full of things that are not safe. And yet, this pandemic shows up, and everybody is afraid of everything. Okay? And everybody. So I believe that the idol of today is really safety. Now, you can go into another, all the different areas in your life. Anything you put before God is an Yes, we all know that. But I really see that today. Um, let me go back to my notes here. Uh, today, <clears throat> the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well, as we just talked about. This world system today just tells us to just 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 be tolerant you know just be accepting just just you know go along everybody's doing it just fine everybody lives together before they get married nothing wrong with that anything wrong with that yes we don't do that getting drunk on a weekend once a month not a big deal right of course it is you don't do that. You don't get drunk. You don't get high. You don't lose control of your mind. God says the key be sober-minded. You don't do stupid things by losing control of your mind. All right? Hiring a female pastor to be in being the head of the church. God tell us to do that? No, we don't do that. There's going to be trouble with that. That's why he tells us not to do that. Accepting deviant behavior in folks. Uh, expecting them in the membership or leadership do we do that no we don't do that we love them we encourage them to repent and turn away from those behaviors and come in fellowship with us yes we do but we don't encourage them to come and practice that in our midst that's what he's saying right here we don't do that when these things and other things like this show up in church we give time to repent, right? We just learned that, verse 21. And if so, fantastic. People repent, we bring them in, we encourage them, we help them, we help them find new friends, right? We encourage like crazy. We really help all we can. If they don't repent, we talked about it already, the scripture is real clear. They don't come here. They don't. It says we're not even supposed to eat with them. That's what scripture says. 
Jesus Christ's body, that's us, must be as pure as possible. We cannot let impurities to come in. Now, are all of us pure all the time? I'm not. What's the difference? Repentance, right? Your attitude, okay? having a heart for God or having a heart against God. Big difference. Those two cannot mix. Okay? And yet they mix all the time, don't they? Many, many churches I've been in have lots of people that come there every Sunday who are not living for Jesus Christ. Do they look good on Sunday? Dress up? Look sharp? Use the right language? You see them on Tuesday on the job? A little different person. Okay. That is that is no place in the church. That should not be allowed in the church. And I'm here to tell you and here to ask you. If I see that in our group, I'm going to confront you. And if you see any of that in me, I want you to confront me. Okay? We need to hold each other accountable. We need to help each other realize that we have time to repent. But don't push it. <laughs> there is a time, there is no longer time to repent. Right? What's he say he's going to do to all those people who she's affected who haven't repented? He calls them here her children. Not literal children. People who followed her influence. Okay? Follow her along. That, what's he going to do with them? We're going to kill them. Take them out. And as of Sapphira, right? He took them out. Took them out. When we have communion next week, part of the scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 says, if you take communion in an unworthy manner, people who do, many of them are sick, and some are dead. God has killed them. That's how serious just communion is. Okay? Much less our whole life. So, this is serious business, folks. And I, I don't often have the need to get quite as this serious. But it's very serious. If you have sins in your life that you know about and that you hang on to, Beware. God's given you time. You're still alive. <laughs> okay? God's given you time to repent. He says it plain right here. If you choose to not repent and you choose to keep skating by, thinking nobody knows, God knows. And there will be a price to pay for that. So I encourage you today to straighten that out with the Lord, if that is in your life today. Tomorrow might be too late. You don't know. So that's what God is telling us here. We've got to stay as pure as possible. Got to stay as pure as possible. All right. Enough of the negative here. Um, <clears throat> why does he do this? He does this because he wants all the churches to know. Look at verse 23. I want all the churches to know that I am the one who has these eyes, right? That search not only the mind, but the heart. I search the mind and the heart. 
And I will give to each of you according to your works. Now don't get confused. That doesn't mean you're all everything's based on your works. What he's talking about is the reason for your works, okay, and the kind of works you're doing. Okay? We all do works. Some evil, some good, okay? That's what he's talking about. This is not a matter of your salvation. Don't get confused. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, that's those people who are not holding to this teaching, who have not gone along with this Jezebel woman, who have not gone along with all of that, who have not gone along with what some call the deep things of Satan, which is idol worship and sexual immorality, right? Deep things of Satan. To you, I say, do not, I don't lay on you any other burden. Hold fast, be strong, is what he's saying, until I come. And to the ones who conquer, and who keeps my word, uh, those who keeps my, keep my word until the end, to him, or to her, obviously, both, I will give authority over the nations. Did you hear that? I will give authority over the nations. That means that we will reign with Christ, won't we? We will reign with Christ, not only in a thousand years, but in eternity. We will reign with Christ. He's going to give us that incredible honor. He's going to share that with us. Unbelievable. I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm excited about it. I don't have a lot of authority here, <laughs> but I'm going to have some authority in the future, and that's an exciting thing. Uh, of course, by then, I'll, I won't be able to abuse it, okay, because sin will be gone from the world, so that would be nice. Yeah, but it's exciting. Um, I will uh, give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Now, this is interesting. If you go back to where he's talking to, he's talking to Thyatira, and many people in that city were in the guild of pottery making, right? And they did not sell seconds. They didn't sell seconds, okay? For example, in this world, we sell, they sell a lot of seconds. Have you ever gone to the Buck Factory, Buck Knife Factory up in Post Falls? I like going there. I love knives. I'm kind of a knife guy. And they have a shop where they sell seconds. That means if a little rivet didn't turn out just right, or if there's a little nick in the back of one of the blades or something, they can't sell it as perfect. So you get a really good price on it. At least half price. So I've gotten some really neat knives there for half price. Well, they didn't do that in Thyatira. They had a person hired in every pottery shop that when that plate came out or that bowl came out or that glass came out, goblet came out of the, of the, where they were firing them. Yeah. Where they were firing them. Um, when they came out and they weren't perfect, there was a guy there with a rod, a steel rod that would crush that pottery. And they would throw it out because it was a second. It wasn't. It wasn't any good. Okay. So what he's saying here is that we and he rule with a rod of iron. That means the people who are disobedient, people who are not godly, are going to get destroyed. They will be wiped out. Read about it when he comes in his second coming, and later in Revelation. It, it will happen. Okay. Um, he even talked about this uh, potter back in the back in Psalms two. We want to go back to Psalms for a moment. 
chapter 2. Psalm 2, the end of 7 into 9 here, it says, uh, well, let's start in 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So even in that prophetic psalm of the future, he talks about the fact that we and Christ will be destroying those <coughs> who oppose him like a potter who uh, who breaks those vessels that are not are not redeemed and are not perfected through the through the grace of God. So that was uh, even back in Psalm. Is that saying that, he, that the forgiveness is no longer available then? Yep. <clears throat> yep. So, you know, there is a time. At this point, we're talking about it's either be right with me or right. Yep. Because I've given you chances and chances and chances and now is Now is the time. beyond the time of chances. There is that time. And it will come. Revelation 22.16 explains this last statement to this in Thyatira here. I will give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? Revelation 22.16 tells us. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root the descendant of David, the bride's morning star. That's right. That's who Jesus is. So not only is he going to give them authority to rule uh, over the nations and to rule with a rod, but he's going to give them himself. He's going to give us himself, which he has already done, really, in one way, hasn't he? But not fully till we are there with him. We just sang about that today. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and, sing and shout the victory. Okay. So that is, uh, that's basically the letter to Thyatira. It is a warning, and there is a blessing for those that endure, for those that stick with God and don't get lured back into the world. That's right. Don't forget this lesson. Don't forget this lesson. When people call you and invite you to certain activities, when you are tempted to watch something on TV, when a pop, something pops up on the screen of the computer, okay, remember, someone is watching you. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It helps keep, keep us on that narrow road that we need to be walking. Because you get off that narrow road, you fall down and get hurt. And God doesn't want you to get hurt. God doesn't want you to get destroyed by this world. God wants you to get through this world and get to heaven. Okay? And he'll hold your hand. 
But you can't be diving off into these things of the world and expect them to be there all the time to bring you out. You've got to repent of those things that come out. Remember that, you guys. This is a serious, serious letter. And yet it is so applicable to today and all the temptations that we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are tough words to hear. Especially as we watch so much of the people of the world indulging in these things that you specifically forbid. Lord, I I thank you for the understanding that you've given to us through your Holy Spirit of your word so we don't have to live that way. We don't have to submit to those temptations. We don't have to fall to them. We don't have to go places where they do these things. You've given us the ability to not go there. We thank you that we live in a society where we are not required economically to do those things yet. And yet we see that coming even in our own nation. We see the time when we have to have an inoculation of some sort just to be able to get a job given by the state. We have to wear something specific. We have to take a number. Eventually, Lord, your word tells us to do any kind of transaction financially under the Antichrist. Rule of rule. Lord, we thank you we are not there yet. We thank you that we have the freedoms that we have not only to live for you, but to meet openly like we are. To be able to talk about you in public without threat of imprisonment and death. And yet, Lord, now those, those rights are being taken away. So I pray for strength as we walk forward in the history of this country, as, uh, as those laws and rules become more and more against the church. I pray that we would be able to stand for you, whatever that means. We love you, and we are so thankful for your blessings in our lives. I pray if there is one here today who has been struggling with a particular sin, they know is wrong, they know is against you, I pray that they will not give it another day, that they will come to you even now and repent, ask your forgiveness, and turn away from you, and that we would continue to do that every day as we still have to live in this dark, dark world. Give us the strength. We depend on your strength, Lord. Thank you for being there for us all the time. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are in
If you have ideas for books that you would like to study, maybe you've always been curious about a book, maybe you'd like to go through that together, uh, I'm open to that. So even if you have a topical uh, subject that you have always wondered about, this would be a good time for that as well before we get involved deeply in another book. Uh, be thinking and praying about that while you are partaking uh, in the service today. That would be great. Because I am open to whatever the Lord uh, chooses, whichever direction the Lord chooses to lead. But we are in Revelation 3, so if you need to open your Bibles to Revelation 3, this is the uh, letter to the church in Laodicea. Say Laodicea. That's an interesting word. It was named after a man's wife. We'll talk about that in a minute. A little, a little uh, cook. Keep going here. Now, this is the last of the seven letters. Remember, this is uh, these are letters that were given to John on the Isle of Patmos. He was in his nineties, out there breaking rocks because of his faith. And uh, there are people in jail today, even in this country, because of their faith. And around the world, there are thousands of people in prison. That is going to continue to be true as uh, Satan tries to flex his muscles in these last days. Uh, he's going to get a lot of Christians in trouble because he operates the court system and it's those systems of this world that uh, do not abide by God's law, they abide by some made up man's law. And so we need to be strong, we need to realize which law we are to obey. <laughs> And we need to continue to obey that law. Uh, however, in this church, we will find out today, of all the seven churches, this church is not a real church. This church is a church by name only. This church is filled with people who do not know the Lord. Now that may seem like a strange thing until you look around our world and look at a number of churches that I could name, but I am not going to, that uh, in fact entire denominations that have completely left the Lord out of their doctrine. They've left the saving grace, love, and the redeeming of Jesus out of their doctrine. They are getting together for social purposes, for political purposes, for other reasons. And they have left Jesus out. And uh, that is happening today, just like it always has. This church is an example of that for us. So we can recognize that that is still occurring today. It certainly happened in this day at the end of the first century. Let's read through those verses and then we'll get going. There's a lot to talk about here. This says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, 
I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold for time to buy from me, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Very famous of all the letters, this, uh, there are verses in here that are quoted more than any of the other letters. Especially, I stand at the door knocking. Everybody's heard that. You've been around any kind of uh, church proceedings in your life. You've always heard that. That is often used way out of context. We're going to get to that today and maybe give a little different twist than you've heard before. But I really believe we need to always consider context. When people pick that verse out, it sounds like a wonderful verse to have in a, in a tent meeting to bring people to Jesus. But we're going to discover today that in this context, that is really not the time. So we're going to get That's another way. <laughs> so here we have Jesus introducing himself, as he always does at the beginning of these letters. And the word he uses here first is, Amen. What does amen mean? Anybody know? You say it all the time. So be it. So be it. Okay? So be it. Another way to put that is that's true or right on. Right? There's all kinds of words we can use to bring that across, but it really means that is true and I agree with it. Right? That's why you hear people in many churches in the middle of the service, they'll say, Amen, brother. Or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do that kind of thing. And that is to encourage a person who is speaking truth. And so, does Jesus speak truth all the time? That's the right answer. He is the truth and the life, right? That's who he is. He cannot lie. He doesn't know how to lie. Okay? It's not even in his character at all. And so, that's very unusual for us to deal with somebody in his life. Everybody I know can lie. And at different times, they will, okay, for whatever purpose. Uh, that is a very easy thing to do. Our tongue loves to do that. Like James tells us, if left unattended, our tongue will do that on its own, <laughs> okay? Uh, so we need to be aware of that all the time. But uh, the other word that the Bible uses, and only instead of at the end, they use it as a the word verily means the same thing. You'll read many times in scripture, very, 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 I say unto you. And that means truthfully, truthfully, you can count on this. Now listen, that's what it means. Just like at the end, you would say, everything I've said is true, 